Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, I think this is the fifth or sixth class in our 32-class structured study of Vipassana. Uh, last week, the previous two classes, were looked, we looked at dependent origination, uh, which states from ignorance of four noble truths through 12 observable causative links, all manner of stress and suffering arises. Uh, and then last week, we looked at how ignorance of four noble truths, according to dependent origination, according to the Buddhist teachings, conditions the mind towards ignoring its own ignorance. And that is how the, the big lie, <laughs> if you will, is maintained. It's, it's, it's an aspect of ignorance to ignore ignorance. And that's how it prevails. That's why it's so difficult to recognize and abandon. So in this, um, this sutta fits nicely in our study. In, in the Kula Sakaka Sutta, Sakaka is a member of a different clan, the Lakavis, who uh, get this great idea that they're going to question the Buddha and beat him in debate. It's interesting that I was asked recently if I would engage in debate. I don't do that. That's not something that the Buddha would do. Um, And so the whole point of the Kula Sakaka Sutta is the whole point of this study and the whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma. It gets right to the heart of the matter immediately, points out the, um, the five clinging aggregates as the personal experience of ongoing stress and suffering. And I'll, I'll explain the five clinging aggregates in a moment. Um, and how that five clinging aggregates maintains its own ignorance by being caught up in the whirlwind of wrong views of self, caught up in that... Um, in that vortex of fabricated beliefs stuck in a world that is designed to continue those fabricated beliefs, meaning an impermanent world that we like to perceive as impermanent. Let me get to this. This will become more clear in a moment. One morning, Venerable Asaji, one of the monks of the Buddhist Sangha, was in Visaji, Visali, I'm sorry, on his alms round. Sakaka noticed Asaji and recognized him as a follower of Gautama the Contemplative, the Buddha. Master Asaji, how does Gautama the Contemplative contemplative generally instruct his disciples. Agavasana, he's using um, the, the, uh, the clan's name of Sakaka. Agavasana, Gotama, the rightly self-awakened one, instructs his disciples in a general way as follows. Uh, it, so the, the Buddha teaches that the, the main focus of his, or the, the central focus of his Dhamma is understanding and recognizing Dukkha. Dukkha is a word that... Um, means everything from a mild disappointment in life all the way to the most extreme mental and physical suffering and everything in between. And it, it is because of a preoccupation with dukkha that we stay distracted from our moment-by-moment life and we continually create more stress and suffering in our lives. So the central theme of the Buddha's Dhamma is recognizing and abandoning our contributions to dukkha. The Buddha describes dukkha this way. Birth is dukkha, meaning simply as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress and suffering. And he continues saying, sickness is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha. Not getting what is desired is dukkha, getting what is undesired is dukkha. Notice that that's everything that everybody, uh, everybody that has a human life experiences it. Nobody uh, can escape the effects or uh, the experience of dukkha. 
it's our contributions to dukkha that the Buddha recognized uh, that it's possible to abandon. Uh, then he says, as he concludes that statement, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and ongoing consciousness, the five clinging aggregates, are not self. Those five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness, are the ongoing personal experience of suffering. And th- this is beyond, a little bit beyond you and uh, Brooke and Tom right at the moment, uh, but it's a key theme of the Dhamma that will become clear. Uh, as you as you continue, but just remember that that these four these five things are the five clinging aggregates. It is the ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering. The Buddha says, form is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent, mental fabrications are impermanent, and consciousness is impermanent. Being impermanent, form is not self. The the the, the translation could almost as easily be being impermanent. Impermanent form cannot be self. How could it be self if it's impermanent? Feelings are not self or cannot be self. Perceptions are not self or cannot be self or cannot constitute the self. Mental fabrications are not a self and cannot constitute the self. And consciousness is not a self and cannot constitute a self. All impermanent phenomena is not self, no matter how much we want to make it different. In short, the five clinging aggregates are impermanent and so not self. So um, identifying myself as this physical body especially when I was 25 and now clinging to that 25 at 65 is going to cause stress and suffering, isn't it? I'm using kind of a silly example, but that's just what we do. So at 65, we might lament the health I had when I was 60, when I was 25. And I'm just using this as an example. The peace that comes from understanding that aging is simply a part of having a human life. In other words, if I want to have the benefits of a human life, and I'm sure glad I had a human life, I have to be willing to put up with the things that are unpleasant, meaning the aging aspect of it, without losing my mind over it. It doesn't mean that I have to open and embrace aging with open arms, because that, that's just an aspect of eye making, isn't it? Look how wonderful I am. Aging doesn't bother me. No, what it is is a profound understanding of what it means to be a human being and the stress of aging. But we don't take anything personal. And again, I'm using aging as an example. We could take anything in the world that we become disappointed or enamored with and use that as an example. Let me continue. So I got to go back just to put this in, in context just a little bit. Uh, all impermanent phenomena is not self. In short, the five clinging aggregates are impermanent and so not self. Agavasana, this is a general way that Gotama, the rightly self-awakened one, instructs his disciples. Sakaka says, What an awful thing to hear, Master Asaji, that Gotama the contemplative teaches this sort of thing. Perhaps someday we could meet with Gotama the contemplative and change his view. Think of the arrogance in that statement. A short while later, a group of Lakavis, about 500 in total, were gathered at a meeting hall. Sakaka addressed the group. Come with me to debate Gotama the contemplative. If he, if he talks, if he, I'm sorry, if he takes the same position with me that he does with his followers, I will thrash him about statement by statement. I will amuse myself with Gotama. So just as common during the Buddhist time was this idea that if you want to debate, it proves that your whatever your whatever you're debating has the most value. Uh, that's still practice. It's still a a 
uh, well-practiced form of modern Buddhism, to, specifically in the uh, South Asian traditions. But you'll, you still see, and many of you have probably seen, those people jumping around and hooting and hollering and clapping and screaming and hollering and calling that Buddhist practice. Can you imagine Siddhartha Gautama jumping around and hooting and hollering like that? I don't think he would. It's not Buddhist practice, by the way. It's, just, it's the opposite of it. The Lakavis, knowing both teachers, were mixed as to what, is, what to expect from the, the, from the debate. Some thought Sakaka would prevail. Some felt the Buddha would prevail. They followed Sakaka to seek out the Buddha. They found the Buddha in the great forest. Forest. After exclaiming courteous greetings, Sakaka sat to one side. Some of the Lakavis were disrespect were respectful for the. I'm sorry. Some of the Lakavis were respectful to the Buddha, clasping their hands in front of them. Some remained silent. Sakaka addressed the Buddha. I would like to question Master Gotama on a certain point if you would grant me the favor of an answer. Ask Agavasana as you see fit. In general, what is your instruction to your disciples? I instruct my disciples in, in this general way. Form is impermanent, feelings are impermanent, perceptions are impermanent, mental fabrications are impermanent, and consciousness is impermanent. Why is that such an important central theme that the Buddha is teaching and he teaches he opens up this debate with that one statement. Because what he's saying is that your perception of the causes of your stress and suffering, of your disappointment, are impermanent. Let go of them. There's no substance there. That's the immediate teaching, but that's also the ultimate teaching. The things that we identify with through clinging to form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, and this thinking that's rooted in ignorance of four noble truths are the cause of all of my discontent. And if I can recognize that, and I can through the Eightfold Path, and abandon it directly, then my mind is constantly at peace and at calm because there's nothing left to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And he starts with the, the obvious part, the part that, that Sukkot can't deny. And what, what's another word for that obvious part? Me. Right. Me. It's the, part, the, the problem is me. Problem is me, but it's also what he's pointing at. The, the yep. impermanence is something that is right in front of you. Yep. And and it doesn't take much debate to to hammer that one. Down. Well, including you could say every teaching. The 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 Bahia Sutta is the same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He he impressed on Bahia the the absolute impermanence of his life, even though Bahia was pretty well stuck in it. But through that understanding, through that wisdom, he was gave, able to gain grand insight to the impermanence of all things. If things are so important, impermanent, why, cl- why cling to them? Why create identities over them? Why say, this is me, this is mine, this is what I am, when it's completely impermanent? There's no self in any of it. There's no self in any of the things that we claim to, to house the self or be a vehicle for a self. Yet, we spend our whole lives defending that view of self. Continue. I thought it was interesting also, Asaji and the Buddha said absolutely the same thing. Yeah. There's no variation on any part of it. Yeah, it's such an interesting point that David brings up. Why is that? Because the Buddha's Dhamma is incredibly simple. It's incredibly repetitive. It has to be by its own nature. And so the people that have learned the Dhamma will be speaking the same language too, won't they? I think that's one of the reasons why the Buddha's Dhamma has prevailed, not well, but prevailed 2,600 years because of its ultimate simplicity. Thanks, David. All impermanent phenomena are not self. 
This, in general, is how I instruct my disciples. All impermanent phenomena are not so. There's, you've heard me say this in another way. There's nothing personal in the world. And there's nothing that we can find or declare as personal. Nothing. It's the nature of, of human life. Uh, the Buddha continues. Uh, Sakaka says, A simile occurs to me, Master Gotama. Any seed that grows and spreads is dependent on the earth. In the same way, any individual with form, in connection with form, taking sustenance from form, produces merit or demerit. Any individual with feelings, taking sustenance from feelings, produces merit or demerit. Any individual with perceptions, with mental fabrications, with consciousness, taking sustenance from perceptions, from fabrications, from consciousness, from feelings, from form, produces merit or demerit. This is another... um, really deep and profound statement that I could probably spend three classes teaching. I won't. But there's, there's a few important things in here. <clears throat> the notion of taking sustenance from the things that are afflicting us is another key theme to the Dhamma. In other words, just because something is inherently hurtful, because we don't see it that way, and because we have a tendency to... to let, let me just... You use a word once, and I promise I'll never use it again. Positivize things. <laughs> we want to see things in their most positive way because we're compulsed to do that. That is the most powerful, powerful strategy to continue to ignore ignorance. We're even trained to see, to see positivities in the things that are hurtful to us. We'll, we'll create things. Well, it, what, what's that phrase? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Mm. A lot of things kill you before they kill you right to the end, and they don't make you stronger. <laughs> A lot of people die, and I don't want to get too deep into it, get on my high horse, but it's just nonsense to say that things, that, you know, it's just, it's just so silly. Um, and the idea of something that will produce merit or demerit, and if it produces merit, it's good for me. Much of modern Buddhism is, is key to that idea of producing merit so that when I die and go to my reward, I'll get all the things that I want, all the goodies that I couldn't get in this lifetime. It's okay because I'll get it in a future lifetime. How hurtful could that be? Yeah, I, to me, there's nothing that more of a hurtful teaching than that type of teaching. That salvific notion that I'll give up this life because I'll get a better life. And again, I could get off my high horse about that. <clears throat> but this is one of the main reasons in, in, in only slightly nuanced ways that people lose their whole lives because of this same notion. They devote their life to something else, a fabrication, and so you live your whole life for the fabrication. No matter what you achieve, even if you find a way to prop up the fabrication, keep it alive in front of the whole world, it's still a fabrication. It's still impermanent. When you die, it's gone with you. So what's the brilliance of the Buddha? He realized... Excuse me. Let me say it this way. The Buddha never discounted a future life. What he said was it's foolish to depend on it or even think about it. But because he said, by doing so, you lose this moment. This moment is life's greatest reward. And if we could figure out a way to be present for this moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, guess what? We're living a human life. And we're living that human life from the point of view of full human maturity. Why? Because we're simply present. What does an immature child do when they don't get their way? They scream about it. Hopefully, they'll get their way in the future. We do that through our whole life once we're conditioned to think that way. Most adults create different ways of of throwing a tantrum that are more acceptable in society, but we still do it, don't we? 
and it's still the same thing. It's I'm not getting what I want, and I'm going to do this until I get what I want. And again, you've just, you've just lost a great portion of your life, if not your whole life. This is what the Buddha awakened to. How to have a human life, you have to be present for it. What is, what is that presence rooted in? It's rooted in jhana meditation. A mind has to be, have a measure of concentration to stay present. And then it has to have the right mindfulness, what to hold in mind, in order to see what's occurring from the point of view of right view. Okay, I'll get to that. Agavasana, you are saying, form is, my, form is myself, feeling is myself, perception is myself, fabrications are myself, consciousness is myself. Yes, Master Gautama, I am saying just that. And then Sakaka concludes that by saying, as do all of those, the 500, the Lakavis that came with him. Well, very well. I will cross-question you on your statements, Sakaka. What do you think? Would a noble king wield power in their domain to execute those that deserve execution or to banish those that deserve banishment or to tax or fine those that deserve to be taxed or fined? Is such a noble king in control of his domain? Yes, Master Gotama, a noble king would be able to control his domain in this manner. So the Buddha is not saying it, it's good or bad or skillful or unskillful to do the things that a king are doing. He's just asking the question, can a king do these things? Does he have the power to do them? Well, Akhavasena, when you say that form is self, do you have power over that form? Can you have your form be any different than it is? Think about that. Can we have this be any different than it is? From the time I was born, I just wanted to be six inches taller so I could play for the Yankees. All the wishing didn't make it so. And I, I mean, that's, that's true. For a long time in my life, I had this belief that I should be able to play, Yan- play center field for the Yankees, even though I was never taller than 5'8", and now I'm even shorter. So I'm probably never going to make center field for the Yankees. But. So can I have this form be any different than it is because I'm disappointed in it? And if I insist... That it, that it must be different, that I must be different somehow, or even, even more hurtful, even more contributory to, me, to my own mental illness is believe that I'm different than I am, that I'm six foot when I'm five eight, or carry myself, you know, put on some bulk. What am I doing? And I might even be a very successful person acting in that way. I may get away with it for a hundred years. What have I done? Matt, what have I done for those hundred years? Lived your life rooted in fabrication? Yeah. It's that low-grade fabrication that Buddha's saying, stop. Yes. It's because you don't notice it, but you're making those decisions each moment. And it's not the, I want to be six, seven. It's the little lies all along the way. Yep. Stop taking sustenance from... Fabrication. That's yes. That's that's what that means. And every time that I think that I can do this, this subtle aspect of eye making, that's what we mean by sustenance. I'm feeding the fabrication, and that's what keeps it going. Thank you. Right, just to finish that, can you have any have your form be any different than it is? Sakaka could not answer, and remained silent. Again, the Buddha asked Sakaka, "Well, Agavasena, when you say the form itself." Do you have power over that form? Can you have your form be any different than it is? Again, Sakaka refused to answer. Agavasana, you have engaged me in the debate. It will be to your detriment not to answer. I will ask one more time. 
When you say the form itself, do you have power over that form? Can you have your form be any different than it is? Sakaka finally answers, no, Master Gotama. Well, listen closely to what I am saying. And answer only after you have paid attention. Your answer is inconsistent with your statements. You also said that feelings are self, that perceptions are self, that mental fabrications are self, and that consciousness is self. Can your feelings be any different than they occur? Can your perceptions, your fabrications, or your consciousness be any different than as they occur? No, Master Gautama. Well, listen closely again to what I'm, what I'm saying. And only after, answer after you have paid attention. Your answer again is inconsistent with your statements. Is form impermanent or inconstant? Impermanent or constant? Impermanent, Master. And is that which is impermanent, easeful, or stressful? It's stressful, Master Gautama. Likewise, are feelings, perceptions, fabrications, or consciousness impermanent or constant? They are impermanent, Master Gautama. And is that which is impermanent, easeful, or stressful? They're all stressful, Master Gautama. And is it fitting to regard what is inconstant, stressful, subjects to change, as this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am. This is such an important question. What the Buddha says is, does it make sense to join with that which is, which is prone to suffering or to cause suffering? And is it fitting to regard what is inconstant, stressful, and subject to change as this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am? No, it's not, Master Gautama. So what do you think, Agavasana? When one, hold, when one holds to stress, is attached to stress, and thinks of stress as this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am, would he understand stress or be able to be free of stress? No, of course not. How could you be? You're, you're too close to it. You're, you're identified by it. You're identifying yourself by it. The Buddha would often say we join with our stress and we identify with our stress. And that, I mean, people always uh, define themselves that way too. How, do you, how was your day? We define ourselves by the, by the way we felt about our day. That's the kind of things that we carry around with us and continues to condition our thinking. I find that this last piece here, if you think this way, would he be able to understand stress? Oh, yeah. Well, how could you? I mean, that, that's the reason why we can't understand stress, because we're identical. We are joined with it. And, and we're back to that um, ignorance feeding itself. Yep. Yeah, how can it? That, that's the, that it was the big... break out of the cycle. Yeah, when you think about a mind rooted in ignorance, another, another, another word for mind rooted in ignorance is a mind that's deluded. A mind that is deluded, how would it know that it's deluded? It doesn't have the reference point of, of which to, to make that assessment. It's one of the things that the Buddha figured out, and that's why he gave us an eightfold path. That's why he gave us a meditation method that is for solely deepening concentration to overcome that tendency, to have the, the presence of mind to interrupt that constant process towards ignoring ignorance. Excuse me. It's a good point, Ron. So, Agavasana, don't you hold to stress? Aren't you, aren't you attached to stress? And don't you think of stress this, as this is mine, this is myself, this is what I am? Yes, Master Gautama. Please tell me how a disciple of Master Gautama develops this, this instruction to end all doubt, to end all questions, 
to be fearless and independent of others and their teachings. That's another such an important line. Because just like today, people wanted to, I'll use the word, people wanted to glom their spiritual practice together. Meaning, I want to, I want to be part of an organization that does something um, that I agree with, but not necessarily something that delivers full human awakening. Um, this Dhamma is a fearless and independent Dhamma, meaning it teaches us as individuals to be fearless and independent of everything else. We touched a little bit about this on, what's today, Tuesday, on Saturday. The, uh, the, the, the common um, the common human notion towards establishing any type of spirituality or religion is always towards that religion or that spiritual notion as having some type of universal um, one world goal, meaning that it ultimately resolves in one kind of uh, universal cosmic being. Or and the Zen schools, it, it resolves in something called nothingness or emptiness. Uh, that was common during the Buddha's time. And the Buddha realized how hurtful and pernicious that type of thinking was. Uh, how, how it takes us out of our body as individual human beings and thrusts us into a fabrication of this one world unity consciousness that, that just leads to, to people being constantly distracted away away from what they are. The Buddha taught to see all phenomena arising and passing away in its discreteness, not in its, its holistic nature. And, and there's nothing wrong with seeing things in a holistic way. I don't want to mislead people. But as far as the Dhamma is concerned, everything is individually discrete. Nothing is one thing, except one thing. We are not part of one grand type of consciousness as far as our human experience is concerned. If there is a one world concept or, or a universal mind that we might aspire to or be a part of, it's not part of a human experience. And if it's grasped after, even for a moment, in that moment, I've lost my mind and I've lost my life in this moment. A human being can only experience human things. That's what the Buddha awakened to. And that's enough. And it should be enough. Take all these things and, and try to glom them together. You're actually trying to deny their existence. Yes, and what is another what 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 would another visual for that glomming these things be? Would be a whole heap of stuff, wouldn't it be? Mm -hmm. Another word for the five clinging aggregates is the five skandhas or khandas, which means a heap or a stump of a tree. That relates directly. I, I cut you off, but you gave me that visual. I'll let you finish. Yeah, so the Buddha is relating even the, um, the experience of a, a human life rooted in ignorance as like living a human life like a stump, like a pile of nothing, a pile of garbage. Why? Because of the value in that life. And I, I shouldn't say that. I don't, somebody's got to call me on that, that I'm relating a human life to garbage. I'm not. But the experience of that life will have the cumulative effect of what should be in a trash can because there's no knowledge gain there's no understanding of what it means to be a human being and yes and you know from from my from my point of view now the saddest thing that that any human being can let me put it this way the most valuable thing that any human being can waste is understanding four noble truths because if you don't understand four noble truths you've, you've lived a whole human life without understanding what it means to be a human being and what value could there possibly be in that and that really is, to me now, it's the saddest thing.
that I can see. For, for, and, you know, when I look out on the world and you see some very, um, you see people that are very successful in certain ways, but also, and maybe on the world scene, um, but also very troubled in other ways. And when I see a person like that of high achievement, but also obviously very troubled, I know that they have to have very little chance of ever coming to the Dhamma because there's nothing left within them to seek that out. That's sad, and, and isn't it? What could be more sad than to live a whole life and never know what it means to be a human being? The Buddha recognized that too. Agavasena, when a disciple of mine develops right view through the Eightfold Path, they then sense, I'm sorry, they then see any form, past, present, or future. What does that mean, past, present, or future? It means the fabrication of dragging stuff out of the past and letting it affect my future and the fabrication of, of projecting myself into the future and giving that some type of reality. They see themselves, any form, past, present, or future, internal or external, common or sublime, near or far, clearly as form has come to be, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself, this is not what I am. That one statement, there's many like that, but that one statement is the Buddha teaching all of us to stop fabricating any type of existence, any speculative existence. Stop projecting yourself into a magical, mystical, or, or any type of non-physical realm. That's what that means. Any aspect of me, here or far, near or far, here or there, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself. The only thing I can ever be, and the only thing I should ever aspire to be, the only thing I should ever hope to be, is what I am, a human being. And guess what? If all I ever want to be is a human being, I can never be disappointed. Never. I live a life of perfect contentment, no matter what occurs. Why? Because I'm not taking anything personal. Because I understand what it means to be a human being. It's its own reward, friends. Through right view, my disciples know that any feeling, perception, mental fabrication, or consciousness, past, present, or future, internal or external, common or sublime, near or far, clearly, as this has come to be, as this is not me, this is not mine, this is not myself, this is not what I am. The Buddha just talked about all five clinging aggregates. Agabasana, this is how my disciples carry my message and my instruction to end all doubt, to end all questions, to be fearless and independent of others and other and their teachings. Master Gautama, how does one complete the path to end all defilements, to lay down the burden, the burden of self, and the fetter of becoming, meaning becoming further ignorant, to become an arahant, an awake one? How does one attain the release through right understanding, Agavasana, when anyone through right view knows that form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, or consciousness, whether past, present, future, internal, external, common, or sublime, that this is not mine, this is not, this is not me, this is not myself, this is not what I am. Through lack of clinging to ignorant views, as sustenance, they are released from those, all those wrong views. Through their right effort, they have ended the defilements, laid down the burden of self, and the fetter of becoming further ignorant. They have completed the path and are released through right understanding. Released, they are endowed with unsurpassed right view, unsurpassed practice, unsurpassed release. Release, they honor and respect the Tathagata, that's the Buddha, in this manner. The Buddha teaches the Dhamma for awakening to four noble truths. 
The Buddha teaches the Dhamma to develop restraint. The Buddha teaches the Dhamma for developing tranquility. The Buddha teaches the Dhamma for ending ignorance or samsara. <coughs> the Buddha teaches the Dhamma for total unbinding. Sakaka then said to the Buddha, It is, it is we, Master Gautama, who were insolent. We who were reckless in, in that we, con we construed that Master Gautama could be attacked statement by statement. May Master Gautama, together with a community of monks, acquiesce to my offer of tomorrow's meal. Somebody was just coming in and just left. The Buddha acknowledged Sakaka with his silence. The next day, a lavish meal was prepared by the Lakavis for the Buddha and his Sangha. Sakaka himself served the Buddha and upon completion of the meal said, Master Gautama, may the merits of this gift be exclusively for the happiness of the donors. Agavasana, what has been given to you not without passions, not without aversions, not without delusion, that will be for, for donors. Whatever has come to me without passion, without aversion, without delusion, free of ignorant views, that will be for you. That last line is, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but that last line is talking, the Buddha's teaching the Lakavis now that the, the Dhamma is for you. Don't practice your Dhamma to respect me, to honor me. There's nothing there. The Dhamma is for you. It's a personal experience of awakening. That's my talk for today. Um, we got some time, but we're going to go around. Uh, I'd still ask you to keep your, um, your talk to two or three minutes. And let me just put these on so I can remember who's here. Hey, Kevin joined us. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Did you just join us, Kevin? Oh, okay. I didn't notice you before. How are you? Can you, Kevin, could you turn your mic up if you can? Oh, yeah. I wonder if it's the volume on this. Can you hear me any better? Yeah. Is there a volume on here, Matt? No All right. That's good. Well, you know, that's fine. Kevin, are you... Thanks. I'll just do noble silence. I don't have my... Uh... I didn't hear you, but one... try, it, try it once more. Noble silence. I can't... I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, no, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Meg just shut up. Oh, that's good. How did you know she wasn't in here? Because I just saw a thing at the top that said admit. Oh, good. Hey, Rick, how are you? Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Uh, nice to be here tonight, and it was wonderful, wonderful listening. Um, just to sh show where I'm at, I finished the chapter uh, chapter for week eight in the Truth and Happiness course, and you'll be getting an email from me shortly. Oh, good. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing back from you, and that's all I have. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Hey, Josh. How are you, my friend? Hey, Thank you for the teaching, John. Hi, everybody. Hey, Josh. I'm just going to listen tonight. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us. Hello, Meg. Good to see you. Hey, there. Nice to be here. I missed last week, so I'm happy to be back. 
Yeah, we're, we're glad you're back, too. The, uh, you know that the, that the recording from last week's class is posted and you can catch up? I did, and I, ha- I, I did start to catch up. Oh. I got company and a bunch of other stuff going on, so I'm still catching up. <laughs> oh, good. How, how's your practice going? Wow, twice good. a day, so that's good. That is, that's great. But I'm just kind of slowly increasing it, and, um, and it's going good. Great. Thank you, Meg. All right, thank you. Nice. Tim, how are you? All right, yeah. Give me, you know, give me, send me an email or give me a call tomorrow. <laughs> Steve, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm glad you joined us tonight, Steve. Hi, Jane. Yeah. I mean, things are getting back to normal. Us too. Uh, I want to thank you for the teaching, John. I have nothing to add, but this is just what I was looking forward to tonight, so thank you. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Dev has joined us too. Um, Dev, it's okay if, if you want to observe noble silence. Uh, we, we all honor that, but if you'd like to say hello, you can. I'll give you a minute. Well, I'm glad you joined us too, Dev. Um, let's go around here. Ram, how are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, it's good to work through this again. Um, see how, how it all ties together yeah. every time. Uh, these are the, the, again, the basics. That he, and he, you know, he basically takes care of uh, Sakaka, by just going back to the basics. Yep. It's, he doesn't have to dig deep into any kind of theory or whatever. He just goes to the basics and, and shows them what's what. Yeah. And where, and where uh, Sakaka you know, is tripping himself up, basically. Yeah, it, it's interesting, though. You see this as a basic teaching, but five years ago, this would have seemed, sound a lot like nonsense, wouldn't it? Yeah, because there's actually there's a lot in it. Yeah, yeah, there's but it lot, is. It's just a basic things. teaching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But he takes all the basic concepts that he's been teaching all this time and uh, points, you know, uses that to point out how how Sakaka is just, you know, he's out of his mind. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. He lost his mind. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Rob. Um, Brooke, how was your meditation first? And I should say, you, nobody has to say anything here. If you'd rather practice noble silence, just say that, and that's fine. Um, it was good. I mean, mind wanders, but able to come back to the breath. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty peaceful. Um, yeah. 
you were you notice when you were caught up in your thoughts and oh, you came absolutely. back to the sensation yeah. of breathing. That's the basic practice. That and uh, and it's both components too. It, it's it's noticing that you're caught up in your thoughts and coming back to your yeah. breath. It's not just being mindful of your breath. The reason why I say that is you can start judging yourself harshly sure. by having to go back. Uh, but that's the that's the whole point. We have to do it. Um, and then to reiterate the point that it's not just meditation that the Buddha taught or that we practice here. It's part of that eightfold path. Uh, that you'll learn more of if you keep coming. So I hope you do. I hope you keep joining us. Um, on the website, uh, do you know, have you been to the website, becoming-buddha.com? No. Becoming-buddha.com. There's, there's a lot of information. Uh, it can seem overwhelming at first, but what I would point you to is to the welcome page, which is on the home page, and then there's a, a link on the home page to guided jhana meditations that you can download and listen to, just like okay. we did tonight. So and I would strongly and suggest... And is there a, a reading for, for each? Session. Yeah. So you yep. all are working off of a reading. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll send an email out twice a week, actually okay. three times a week now, that has a link to what the, in other words, this, this email that went out on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, had a link to this sutta on the yeah. website. So you'll be able to read the sutta before the class. Okay. Uh, if you, again, go on the website, you can sign up for that newsletter. It'll pop up or you, 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 there's a link to. Um, start on the welcome page, listen to the guided meditations. Um, and just on. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.